Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox, centering the marginalized in Mormonism, also a proud part of the Dialogue Podcast Network. Brother Knox, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. What's what's new with you? Anything? Disney Plus, man. Yes, I still don't have Disney one, Plus. But yeah, I've been seeing all the memes and all the people singing, you know, eye to eye and all these nostalgic TV theme songs from our childhoods. Like it is making me really want to get it. I hear I could get a seven week free tr- or a seven day free trial, but I know as soon as I get it, you're not going to see me for at least a week. Like everybody at uh, you know church been talking about it. Everybody at my dojo been talking about it. I know ain't nobody going to see me if I get <laughs> on that Disney Plus train. Like nobody's going to see me. No, what you should do is invite people over to watch Disney movies with you. No, man, because then oh. I would have to entertain people at my house and actually be around people. Why would I want that, dude? Because Why would I want that? People are great. People are. Great sometimes, and in small doses. I can handle one or two people at a time, and even that, not for an extended period of time. One, two hours, that's my cap. Beyond that, I just get anxious. Like, yeah. I got to do all this in my own time. You know what I'm saying? In my own way. I, I need to be locked up in my bedroom, just me and the goofy movie man. And if I need <laughs> to step away, I can step away at any time. No pressure, no obligation to anybody else but me. You know what I'm saying? That's how I got to enjoy Disney+. Plus. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch X-Men. I cannot wait to watch the old school X-Men cartoon. But sorry, enough about that. Disney Plus has pretty much been, I mean, I don't even know why I'm rejoicing so much. It just looks so dope. And I'm really relishing in the day where I can finally sit down and just binge all of the shows from my childhood. You got yourself a trial, didn't you? I did, yes. Sweet. What? And uh, you've been looking for the Disney movies? Like, what was the reason you got it? Well, yeah, I... Though I watched Aladdin yesterday. Hey. Yep. Classic. Aladdin, man. Yep. Is the cartoon and the live action up on? No, I don't think they have the live action one. I don't okay. think they have the recent movies, but they have all the old older ones. Yeah, those are dope. Not, I really enjoy yeah, those. Yeah, not Song of the South though. Song of the South. <laughs> Did you see that caption for Dumbo? I saw that making the rounds on a uh, on social no. media. So apparently the Dumbo uh, descript the description for Dumbo on Disney Plus says something along the lines of this cartoon or this movie may contain some culturally insensitive material, but we've left it in. So you know, with Dumbo, it's the Black Crows and everything, yeah. the very minstrelsy performances they got in there. They just left that in, which I kind of am grateful for. But at the same time, it's just like, come on, Disney, like you, you do you really need to do that? Like, is that really necessary? I don't. I don't know. Well, is it better for them to erase the history and pretend it didn't happen or put it as disclaimer so that people can make an informed choice about whether they want to watch it? I mean, I would prefer the latter, certainly. I just, (laughs) I just, I don't know. I felt some kind of way about that description in there for, I thought it was one, a bit of an understatement and two, not really that necessary. Like, I don't know. I don't know that anybody who came up from my generation from anything other than our generation is going to be looking for Dumbo to watch it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just, I, I could barely get through it. I still have nightmares about that pink elephant's number they do in the middle of Dumbo. Did you see Dumbo? I saw it a long time ago. Okay. Very long time ago. Okay. Like everybody who's seen the movie, who can, who knows that particular scene, you know whoever wrote that scene was on LSD or some kind of drug when they did that little <sighs> musical number in, in Dumbo, but... Beside the point. So let's go ahead and hit on our first news story here. This week, I think this happened this week, just a couple of days ago actually, uh, Pope Francis apparently compared 
politicians' homophobic rhetoric to that of Hitler. What did you think about that, Derek? Yeah, I didn't get the whole context of what the Pope was talking about, but he's basically coming at this saying, look, all these people who are anti-gay, trying to rail against the civil rights of my people, mm-hmm. he said that reminds him of Hitler, at least the early Hitler. Right, um, right. And I thought, well, yeah, of course. You know, the Nazis didn't like gay people and they didn't like black people in addition to all those other people that they didn't like. Right, right. Um, most people focus on the Jews, but there were so many others, including people with disabilities, the mm-hmm. Romani, um, uh, communists, gays, um, yeah, political enemies, all of these. It was, it's so, and all these, look, here's my, here's the w- number one thing. If you look and you dislike all the same people that the Nazis disliked, mm. you need to rethink your life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So many of our politicians today are anti-gay and anti-black and, I mean, like, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. Embracing ideology that was literally the Nazis' ideology. Right. Because uh, you know the the Nazis tried conversion therapy on my people. I didn't know that. I thought they, they just put them in the camps and left no, them with everybody no, else. they experimented on us, and it, well, of okay. course, it didn't work. Right. But they tried all these barbaric experiments with hormones and everything, and it just didn't work, and it's a mess. But they they tried it, and and you can't separate their homophobia from their white supremacy because what they were doing is look these white Aryan gay men aren't reproducing and they're not making more white babies and we need more white German babies and you're not fulfilling your nationalistic duty mm. and and they, th- they saw it as degenerate and corrupt and, an, and a basically a stain on Germany and just thought it was so impure and icky and uh, that's really no different than what some of our white nationalists in America are saying today yeah yeah Speaking of which, speaking of the LGBTQ community, that is, there was one story that came out of Utah this week that I was a little intrigued by. The story is basically that the suicide rate in Utah is down for the first time in about a decade. Now, the decrease is not statistically significant. It's only about half a person per 100,000 that it went down by. But it is worth noting, given that for the last 10 years or so, there's been a steady increase in suicides. So the fact that this is the first year where there's actually a dip may indicate that whatever they're doing in Utah to address the problem of suicide could be working. We don't quite know, but the fact that it's happened, even though it's not a statistically significant decrease, Mm -hmm. does merit not necessarily a celebration, but certainly a consideration of what else can be done to address the issue and perhaps doubling down on whatever efforts are currently in place to address the issue. I don't know if you heard about that or have any yeah, thoughts Yeah, I didn't it. see this. Okay. Yeah. But it is important to figure out what's going on, what works, and look at the underlying situation because any type of Band-Aid superficial approach to suicide is not going to work. You have to think, what is the underlying stuff going on here? Certainly. Certainly. I was thinking about that a lot when I first read the article because I was like, 
you know, we, we, we do have a unique, a rather unique situation in Utah with regard to youth suicide in particular. And in order to address that, there has there definitely have to be some cultural changes within the church itself. We were talking about this before the church before the show started, but uh, that was the primary reason I was hesitant to celebrate anything because I know that a lot of the circumstances that have led that I believe have led to a lot of youth suicides aren't necessarily taken out of place. However, mechanisms to deal with the circumstances and the environments could could be a little positive or could be doing something to help folks deal with that culture and deal with that environment. I don't know, but it is something worth noting, that particular story and that particular dip. So uh, what else we got this week? Two... Hmm. So Rodney Reed, his execution got stayed. This just happened yesterday. I don't know how familiar our listeners are with this with this particular story of Rodney Reed, but basically he is somebody who's been on death row for quite a while. He was convicted of murdering a woman about 23 years ago and was days away, literally days away from his execution to be carried out within the next week. And then an appeals court stepped in to suspend his death sentence indefinitely. That's basically what happened. People have considered the the timeline. There's critical errors regarding the timeline of the killing and the DNA evidence. And then most recently, we've had like three people come forward with new testimony regarding the victim's fiance, Jimmy Fennell, who is the prime suspect right now or seems to be the prime suspect right now so his uh his execution has been stayed indefinitely and it's a victory for civil rights for for the time being i will say this though when i googled the story this morning to just see what the most recent developments were the top story had kim kardashian's name in the headline and do you know what she did do you know what she did with this case did she appeal for on his behalf no she oh. didn't. She was merely present. She was merely present when the announcement was made. Nearly, merely present, merely with Rodney when I, I, I guess he received the notification of his stay of execution. But her name was in the headline. And I'm just like, why? Why, when there are some victories on civil rights, we still got to, in some way, center not just white people, but completely irrelevant white people to the situation. <laughs> oh, no. She was she was seriously not involved in this case at all. She was simply in the room when Rodney King got the news of his victory and his justice. That's all I wanted to say about that. But huh. no, I, I wouldn't know about anything about this case if it wasn't for the activist accounts that I follow on social media or my knowledge of the Innocence Project. But, you know, they're the ones who are really responsible for taking on this case and making sure this stay of execution happened. They were able to get the word out about the petition. They got over 100,000 signatures. Mm-hmm. And the state of Texas was fortunately able to change their mind about him. So that is a that is a victory for civil rights. And hopefully we can get more of this work done in the Innocence, pro- in the Innocence Project and prevent more innocent black men from going to death row for crimes they didn't commit. Yeah, and that gets back to another important part. I'm sure there's a lot of you know, good-hearted white people that want to learn more about things, and they're like, oh, teach me. And here's what I would say (laughs) to all them. 
What is that voice? Ooh, teach me. Yeah, well, that wasn't <laughs> supposed to be funny, but you know what I'm talking about, right? No, I got you. There's there's folks that just want to they want to learn, and they don't yeah. really know where to go. So and usually, their first avenue is the nearest black person or the nearest person part of that community that you're trying yeah. to learn more about. So here's what I've heard, and then this is what I would suggest for everyone to do: is if you if you want to learn more and and get more educated and not be a, a burden to other people and, and demand that they teach you for free. Here's what you should do. You find 50 black activists or 50 black people at all on social media and follow them all. Number one, follow them. And two, don't comment and don't talk to them. Just listen for a long time. All these people, you'll you'll hear stuff. If something happens yeah. and affects the black community, you'll hear about it. That's yeah. That's the best way to do this. And then Maybe eventually you can get to the point where you can, can reach out. But at first, just listen to a large – and the same thing. If you want to say, oh, I, I don't know much about gay people, find 50 of us. Mm -hmm. Find 50 from the LGBTQ community and follow us all. Yeah. And just – and then don't don't comment. This isn't your conversation yet. So, right. And I think that's probably the best way of – becoming educated and informed and up to date on what's happening with a, a community that you want to be more in touch with. Yeah. And I just want to add my witness to that. This is literally the only reason I know about anything that's happening in the trans community is because I actually took this advice, uh, was able to figure out, well, at least know the stories that are being talked about in that community and hear so many stories about black trans women being uh, bullied mm -hmm. or even killed in certain situations. I wouldn't know any of those stories if it wasn't for those people that I follow, particularly on uh, Instagram and Twitter, talking about this stuff. So I just want to add my witness to what Derek has just suggested, to mm -hmm. follow members of a community, particularly activists, members of those communities, if you want to know what's going on within them. Okay. Any other news here? Over the past couple of days... The last bit of news I wanted to cover briefly was that there were two school shootings this past week. Uh, just last night, there was one at a Jersey uh, football game. Still, details pending about that. We don't know anything about the attacker. Nobody was killed or nobody died. We just know that there was two victims in that particular shooting, a, a young person and a man. And we also had that uh, shooting at Saugus High School in California. There were five victims, three wounded, two killed. We don't know much about the assailant other than his name. No indication of motive. They didn't find any, you know, record of any manifestos or any record of questionable online behavior. So details about that case are still pending. Just keep those folks in your prayers. Do you know any more about either of those situations? No, I, I didn't hear about either one. Okay. Relatively new. Like I said, that Jersey one literally just happened last night, Friday night, for those of you who are listening to this later. But, uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to cover for news this week. Do you have any other news, Derek? No, but my, but, but one thing to do is, is, yeah, there's a place for thoughts and prayers, but the real thing is policy and actual change. Big time. Yes. So you can't do the one without the other. And that's actually what we're going to talk about in the Epistle yes, of James. Yes, it is. And I can't wait to get to that. Are you ready to dive into James, Derek? Sure. Let's talk about James. All right. Um, there are several things I wanted to... I mean, there's one thing in particular I wanted to talk about with regard to James. But there... 
I, I just wanted to talk about what James thinks about wealth. I, I want to kind of preface my thoughts on James by just merely addressing how interesting of a book James is. It's interesting because there's not a ton of uh, not a ton of theological reflection in the book of James, in the manner of Paul's letters anyway. Right, exactly. And I don't want to say that James doesn't think theologically. James definitely does. But there's a reason that Martin Luther called the book of James an epistle of straw. You know, I didn't know what he meant by that until I read the book of James and saw how little explicitly Christian language was in the book of James. And I never noticed that before. Like, I always thought that James spoke very theologically or spoke things that we as Christians need to consider very theologically. But it's not written in in explicitly theological or Christian language. However, there are clear agreements between between Paul and James when it comes to the the social implications of God's kingdom and, and, and the life of the church. And that's what I want to focus on, even though there's a uh, great deal of proverbial teachings in this book that I really enjoy. Uh, we'll get to those if there is time. In fact, one of those proverbial teachings is actually my email signature, uh, James chapter 417, I think. But yeah, like I said, if we mm-hmm. get to the proverbial stuff, if we got time for it, we'll get to it. But for the time being, I'd really like to say something considering what James has to say about wealth. So he has quite a bit to say concerning wealth, particularly how rich people gain their wealth, how they wield their wealth, and how we treat people that have money. That is what James tends to focus on. So I, I want to begin with a reading of James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11, and then James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. So these verses read, Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth it perisheth so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways chapter 4 13 through 16 go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow for what is your life it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away for that ye ought to say if the lord will we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. So wealth is a problem. Wealth is a problem because it attempts the rich to believe that they sustain their own lives rather than rather than God. And how does such individuals view the poor? And what happens when an entire society is conditioned to think this way? James actually is going to tip us off a little bit later or a little bit earlier in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Just want to read that real quick. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool? Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? 
Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Close quote. Now, the divisions and partiality based on wealth are obviously antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In right, fact, yeah. in verse 8 and 9, he basically recounts the, 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 the second great commandment. So I, I think we'd agree there. But, but how often do we see, and you, and you know, I want to speak carefully here, how, how often do we see suburban churches with rich, with rich people in positions of power or ecclesiastical leadership when the poor are rarely or never given such positions? I just saw, like, I don't know if it was just a few weeks ago, somebody casually making fun of the church for often having people who have money in positions of leadership. Like we see that in a lot of different churches, but I would definitely say we see that a lot with, uh, with suburban churches or with, this is why James is kind of a problem for a lot of people, I think, and why we don't see a lot of sermons preached out of the book of James, but I'll get to that in a second. But does the Lord not tell us in these passages that if anyone is in a position to lead, it is those poor who are rich in faith. These are the people who bear most of the burden of the oppression of the rich. Wouldn't it make more sense to have them in positions of influence, if not positions of leadership? And when churches appoint the members of their congregations who are the most successful in the eyes of those people, they're kind of reinforcing the ways in which the world looks mm -hmm. at the wealthy and the way the world judges people rather than the way that God judges them. And that's probably the biggest problem I see with this tendency we have or we may have to respect people who are rich or to put people who are rich in positions of power or see so many of them in power. And James isn't really done with the rich there either. In chapter 5, he actually condemns people to whom he's writing because their wealth was attained through unjust and oppressive business practices. And I'll just add as a side note that uh, Frederick Douglass actually quoted these verses when talking about his abolitionist stance and why he believed in the dismantling of the institution of slavery. This is again, chapter five, verse one through six. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth. And have been wanton, ye have nursed your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Close quote. To me, James is clear. Our wealth is sin when, when it is obtained at the, at the expense of others' well-being. In saying that much, I, I feel we also have to point out that James isn't the only person to make this acknowledgement. He's not the only person to condemn the rich in this way. So I'm going to go to the first source we have of this in the, in the New Testament, which is, uh, who is Jesus? He has said, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God. Woe unto the rich for you have already received your reward. That's in uh, Luke 6, 20 and 24. Surely I tell you, it is dip more. It is harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. It is, 
easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Matthew 19. On multiple occasions, Jesus told the rich, either the, the rich young ruler or uh, Zacche Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, am I saying that right? Yeah, I've heard Zacchaeus. Okay, Zacchaeus. He's told them that they have to give up their wealth and make, uh, and make right what they have done wrong to the poor before they can become a disciple. Uh, Derek, you actually pointed out a while ago that Jesus told only one parable with a named person who is uh, who was uh, who was Lazarus, the beggar, who, the beggar who upon his death went to live with Abraham and uh, the person he spent his life begging went to hell. I think that's in Luke 16 or 19. Mm -hmm. One of those two should have wrote down the reference. Yeah, Luke 16, Luke 16. OK, uh, Jesus also taught. That the scribes who wore fancy clothes and used their status to, to, to gain social respect while devouring the widow's homes would receive a great condemnation. And he also claimed that the poor who give out of their poverty, they're viewed more favorably uh, than those who give out of their, 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 their wealth. And it was also Jesus' overturning of the tables in the temple and his proclamation that changing money in the temple was a form of robbery of the poor that moves us into the events that ultimately led to uh, his crucifixion. In other words, Jesus' message against the wealth was so radical and so extreme to those people that the powers that be decided he needed to die. Like that's how powerful Jesus' teachings against the wealthy were. That's how powerful James's teachings mm -hmm. against the wealthy are. The general, I believe personally that the general Christian church is so hostile to these teachings because I, I don't hear a lot of talks that focus on anything in the book of James. In fact, the church itself talks a lot about James 1.5, but almost always in tandem with stories about the first vision or lessons about the first vision or lessons about prayer. I rarely hear people refer to James or hear any talks referring to the book of James when it comes to conversations about wealth, particularly how the wealthy obtain their wealth and how they wield their wealth and how we generally treat wealth in the church. So I, I just kind of want to put a button on that thought by saying that James ultimately reminds us that Christian morality applies not just to church practices, but also to social and economic ones. James is speaking to a social and economic problem of wealth and also to an ecclesiastical one, just as it is the Lord's work to dissolve all distinctions in his house and at his table. It is also the Lord's work to dissolve these kind of distinctions and to end this kind of oppression based on wealth in normal society. James also reminds us that faith is only faith when accompanied by works. And I would love to hear your thoughts about that, Derek. And, uh, it is also only faith when our works is accomplished by, or sorry, accompanied by justice in our churches, in our social and our political lives. Otherwise, we we merely use Christ as a facade to preserve an oppressive status quo. We're doing things like coming across the poor and the beggar and wishing them well, rather than actually imparting of our substance. So I just wanted to put that out there for the church, and hopefully they say amen. Yeah, amen. You said a lot of the stuff that I was going to say so much better than I would have said it. Cool. I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't really give you an opportunity to interject because I know you got some thoughts about this as well. No, I mean, you said pretty much exactly what I would have said. Perfect. So, so we can just Let save time. Let the record show. Um, I said what Derek would say. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm getting better at this. You know, 
the if you look if someone didn't know Christianity at all and looked at the New Testament um, looked at the Bible as a whole and said well what what would they what would they you would think oh Christianity is an anti-rich hate group yep you wouldn't think it's an anti-gay hate group you would think oh these people hate the rich Mm -hmm. and want to you know hold the rich accountable and want to get rid of the rich and wants to put them in their place and that's the universal voice of of the scriptures now there are cases in the scriptures where people used their wealth for good yeah it was never the accumulation of wealth is at all uh should be your idol that's Mm. very clear yeah yeah and let's get back to some of the context uh, that'd be great paul versus james and this has been disputed you know since the time of luther and even even before but part of it goes back to they're addressing different questions to different audiences mm-hmm. and and that kind of explains some of the difference between these two i don't think that fundamentally they're in a, a harsh disagreement with one another they're speaking to different things yeah first of all paul is writing to gentiles who have adopted christianity and who have been told you need to be circumcised and thus this work is necessary for justification and now that's not what James here is addressing. Uh-huh. James is addressing what looks to be primarily Jewish Christians mm-hmm. who aren't under that same uh, dynamic, who are already Jews, already Torah observant. Um, I think it's in James 2 where he mentions that they gather in a synagogue. And in James 1, he addresses them as the dispersed 12 tribes. So it looks like he's writing to people who are already Jewish. So that's one big difference. Another All big right. difference is... He's also writing to a generation of Jewish believers in Christ where there's some people who are essentially Christians in name only. That uh. is, they they may say that they believe, and they may actually have an intellectual agreement that God exists. Yeah, yeah. That's the faith that that James is talking about when he says faith by itself doesn't save. Right. That's not what how Paul's talking about faith. Paul understands faith as a living and active faith yeah. that that you that changes you. Yeah. And so they're not using the word faith in exactly the same way. I see. Um and so that that gets back to what James's point is, which Paul would agree with if uh I think it's in Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, "Look, don't say that you can sin all you want because grace exists. If you say that, then you've, then you know grace doesn't. That's you've missed the whole point. Right. It doesn't right. work like that. Right. Like this faith. Um, I guess Paul would say that your faith, you're saved by faith alone, but that faith is never alone. It's always yeah. accompanied by works, right. but it's not the works right. that save you. Yes. It's just an automatic uh, accompaniment of an actual, true, vibrant, living faith. Right. It logically follows. But what James is talking about is is not the same. He's talking about a faith that just asserts the unity of God or God's existence. And he says, look, even the even the devils believe. <laughs> the demons have know that. Yeah. But they don't have this living and active faith. See, yeah. that's what Paul that's what James is addressing. So they're addressing two different distortions. And it could be because the language is so some of the language is similar between what Paul and James say. They both appeal to Abraham. They yep. both appeal to Genesis 15. They both talk about faith and works. Mm-hmm. And the reason it comes out different, it looks like one of them may be responding to the other intentionally. And uh, because faith, this faith and works thing is such a big part of Paul's whole project. Mm-hmm. 
thoroughly thoroughly part of all this, it doesn't look like he's saying all that just because he needs to respond to James. So it looks right, like James right. is responding to Paul, but it really it's not responding to Paul directly. James is probably more likely responding to a distorted, like secondhand interpretation of Paul. So someone somewhere else took Paul and twisted it to say, well, it doesn't matter what you do. And as long as you agree with these, intellectually agree with these things, then you're okay. And Paul would never have said that. Right. But someone possibly started teaching that or misrepresenting that as what well. It could have been Paul's enemies because, you know, he had a lot of enemies. He just, did. Uh, well, anyway, so it looks like Paul is responding to a distortion. I, I'm sorry. It looks like James is responding to a distortion of Paul. Okay. But I think underneath there is... There's a there's an underlying harmony, but it it makes more sense when you realize they're writing to different audiences, struggling with different real life concerns, and responding to different problems. Okay. But that gets back to the whole. You know, if you someone were to ask me, Derek, what is the most socially conscious document in the New Testament? I would say the Epistle of James. Hey. Okay. Like, if you wanted to know, like a a good short intro to social justice in the New Testament. There's, I mean, Jesus has a lot of stuff, but that's spread out throughout the Gospels. If you Jesus want a nice does. five chapters, it's it's the book of James. Read the book of James because yeah. he says you cannot say you care about God mm -hmm. and deprive the poor of a just life. Yep. That is, you just can't do that. Right. That's the whole point. In context, this faith without works is dead is immensely practical for this early Christian community. They're yeah. supposed to live it out. And this is how they live it out is by um, having increasing their wisdom, increasing their patience, increasing their ability to live together in community, including right. um, not showing preference and pulling rank yep. in in the worship gathering and yep. also not depriving the poor of, of a, a just life. So this is connected to the whole faith and works thing. What do you uh, think about all these things? Yeah, I, I really like how you uh, rounded that out with uh, tying in faith and works with how we treat uh, the wealth. I, I agree wholeheartedly that I, I would say that faith is only faith when it's accompanied by this kind of social and economic justice and in our churches and our, you know, our regular lives. So James is really teaching us what faith is and teaching us how to exercise that faith by telling us to be just to each other, to be fair with each other in our dealings. When, when he tells us not to exploit the poor for our wealth, when he tells us to impart of our substance, when he tells us to not wield our wealth, not pull rank, as you said. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Like these, these principles, these overarching themes in the book of James fit very well with each other. And I would go as far as to say is their inclusion together is very intentional. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I think by having all these voices in the New Testament, it it enriches us. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, it, it really emboldens us and empowers us that we have this the multiplicity of, of voices and perspectives that we can see it from all angles and actually get a better, well-rounded picture of who we're supposed mm -hmm. to be as a Christian community. Big time. Big time. I also want to note real quickly, there are a number of cases in the book of James where he talks about the sins of the tongue, and that's real. Ah. Things like gossip, um, 
false accusations, boasting, all of these things regard, I don't, we don't, you know, where do we hear such condemnation of that like we hear about LGBTs, you know, in, in our church? We don't, mm-hmm. if, I wish we had as much fire and passion against this as, uh, and I, I make, it, make it a practice of never saying anything negative about someone behind their back, even if it's true. Especially if it's true, because then they can't defend themselves with the truth. Right. I just really want to to have this sense of harmony and respect towards towards others, and not take private sins and make them public. And because it's part of love your neighbors yourself. I wouldn't want someone to talk about me behind my back, even if it's true. Right. Without me there to explain or defend or or or, or repent. Right. So that's right. kind of my approach. And then the other, what are your thoughts on that? I did notice that uh, the Come Follow Me manual decided to uh, speak about that for a little bit and ask some questions I really, you know, I really appreciated. So, like, what it says here, there's this uh, language. He has some very vivid imagery about language. I read the verses, but I didn't write them down for uh, for a uh, selective quoting. But... Uh, I do believe wholeheartedly that there's power in words. And I feel like so many people in this world, especially when it comes to the marginalized, want to try to take away the power that words have to hurt or bless others. You know what I'm saying? But particularly Mm -hmm. to hurt people. Words aren't just words. There is a context behind them. There is power behind them. There is intention behind them to either hurt or to bully or to bless and to uplift. And we can't discount the power that words have in oppressing the weak and the you know otherwise marginalized or in uplifting those very same people so I, at some point i got to go back and see this uh powerful imagery that the book of james does use but i i do want to echo and add a witness to you derek that words have far more power than we're tempted to give them right yes um another thing i wanted to bring out was Uh, In James 5, I'll read verses 13 through um, 15. 13 through 15 in chapter 5. And this is in Tom Wayman's translation. Okay. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone in good spirits? Let him sing. Is anyone ill among you? He should call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him. And if he has committed sin, sins, he will for, he will be forgiven. So people always wonder, like, I had this, people have asked me, several people have asked me this, like, where does this anointing with oil, the authority to do that come from? And what I've pointed to is this text here in James and how we, as a restored New Testament church, have revived this practice of anointing with oil uh, the sick. Well, all right then. Yeah. I've uh, heard this. I've heard this verse quoted often out of context when talking about where the practice of anointing with oil came from. And I only ever heard of this on my mission, but I appreciate you bringing, bringing that particular teaching up. Yeah. And part of it is about the health of the community. That's one of the, the whole um, points to, this, uh, to, the, to, to the letter of James is about how do we care for one another in community how do we live together in unity how do we write those things that are wrong and that's kind of how james wraps up his whole document yeah big time speaking of uh 
wrapping up documents and wrapping things up. We, we got a little bit of time, so I really like to share what my email signature says from the book of James since I really enjoy this particular teaching. I feel like it's been in other places before or it's taught in the scriptures already, but I really like the way James words it. This is 4 verse 17. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. One reason I like this verse so much is something I often hear my bishop say. He says it's not enough to not be mean. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be kind. You have to be actively kind. When it came to Jesus Christ commanding Peter to take the gospel to everybody, that commandment was to simply, that commandment wasn't simply to Peter to stop being racist you know he wasn't telling peter to simply stop being mean to jews or, or sorry to gentiles he was telling him he was telling them to include all of them into the fold of christ we we often don't talk that much about the sins of omission that are possible to commit there are sins of commission you know things you can actually do that offend god but there's also things we can not do that would also equally offend god there are sins of omission and in the context of you know, what we see here, this context of, uh, you know, social and economic justice, there are so many ways to omit our duty or to omit, yeah, to omit our duty to the poor and our duty to the marginalized. Oftentimes we'll see people get hurt and we'll see people get oppressed. We'll see people be railed against in a harsh manner. We will see homophobia or racism or transphobia happen in front of our very eyes. We might see it happen in our social media feeds. Either way, we have a duty that when we see those things, our duty is not to simply not also participate in that, to not simply not participate in the bullying or to not participate in the oppression. We also have an, a, a duty to where we can step in and stop it from happening. Right, right. Martin Luther King Jr. once said something along the lines of, he is most afraid of and most troubled by the white moderate who you know, he is more afraid of than the Klansmen because, you know, the Klansmen is out there, you know, doing what they do. But the white moderate is wont to not stepping in, to not defending, to not being an advocate. We have this responsibility to not only not do things that are bad, but we also have the responsibility to do things that are good. Otherwise, it is sin. That is what I believe James to be saying here. We all know things, we all have things we know we shouldn't be doing, but we also know, have things that we know we should be doing, and not doing those things is sinful. And in this context, that would be, and I think James actually pointed this out, something akin to seeing a homeless person or seeing somebody who is poor and then simply wishing them well rather than imparting of our substance or clothing them or housing them. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, and that reminds me of something that I wanted to say real quick from the from First John chapter four. Let me just find it real quick. All right. First John chapter four has this beautiful discussion of the connection between love for God and love for neighbor that some people try to make this big distinction between. I don't know who would do that, but um, here here's what it says: First John four, verse twenty and twenty one. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Ah. And this is the commandment we have 
from him that the one who loves God should love his brother and sister also. Uh huh. I I because there's a lot of people that want to make a distinction of like oh love for God trumps love for neighbor, which means you're you're allowed to mistreat your neighbor uh-huh. if it if it's you're claiming it's in the service of God, but God's like no, if you can't love your neighbor whom you've seen and it is crying out right in front of you how can you love god who's invisible that you've never seen mm. that's that's a wake-up call big time um and and how love for god and love for neighbor are inseparable both for for john and for james and for of course jesus when he yeah. talks about the two greatest commandments as really one commandment yep yep okay anything else in the book of james you want to touch on before we move on to the prayer roll nope let's go on to the prayer roll okay Mine's not that big of a deal. I'm not, I don't even know that I'm so much mad about it as I'm just perplexed at the audacity and the irony that's present in this situation. So my prayer role just briefly is going to be O.J. Simpson. Do you know what he did this week? No, I don't. Okay. O.J. decided to get on his Twitter and to give some advice to Colin Kaepernick ahead of Colin Kaepernick's NFL workouts this week. And I guess at these NFL workouts, several people are going to be watching him and seeing if he's going to be worthy to be on anybody's teams. Now, the advice itself was, you know, cryptic enough and innocent enough that there's not really anything to be mad about there. But placed in the context of the heritage of black athlete activism and who O.J. Simpson is and who Colin Kaepernick is, O.J. Simpson just has a lot of nerve, like a lot of nerve. Why? Because Kaepernick is essentially the man who revived the heritage. And you know who killed it, Derek? Do you know who killed it? O.J. Simpson. O.J. Simpson killed the heritage. He killed the heritage. Like, so for those of you who aren't familiar, the heritage of black athlete activism is informally dubbed the heritage. And it was kind of birthed and sparked The first leaders of it were the likes of Paul Robeson, Jackie Robinson, Muhammad Ali, even Bill Russell, who just barely got his Hall of Fame acknowledgement this morning. So, like, that's that's what the heritage refers to. But O.J. Simpson marked the beginning of a great apostasy of sorts from that heritage of athlete activism. And he did this by his notoriously apolitical public persona and his refusal to acknowledge his blackness i don't know like i don't think we weren't alive during this time but there was a time when oj was asked about his blackness and he said i'm not black i'm oj like that was (laughs) that was like his notorious (laughs) statement and that would sum up his personality and his again notoriously apolitical stance and this willingness to sell and shed his blackness is what allowed him to be so commercially successful. Like he made most of his money, not in football where he spent a whole decade and might I add never won a Super Bowl, but it was in this avenue of commercial commercialism where he was the voice of used cars, shave products, shoes that were affectionately called juice mobiles and even <laughs> orange juice. He was a spokesperson <laughs> for an orange juice brand. So like, OJ was out here getting his money. I should do that. You should. I'm trying to think. What would you sell? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Find something that's, you know, friendly with your name. Get get yourself a nice little abbreviation. I don't know. But th- th- this is the whole point. OJ Simpson set that precedent and many would follow his footsteps, most notably Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods, who also famously shed their blackness in the name of commercialism and just wanting to stay mm-hmm. uninvolved with athlete activism. A lot of stuff 
happened between you know the early 70s all the way to the early 2000s where this heritage was notoriously or like infamously quiet it wasn't until Colin Kaepernick came that the heritage was brought back now what OJ Simpson when he introduced this video he said as a guy who's been through pretty much everything you know what I wanted to scream through that monitor I want to be like not through the sacrifice that Colin Kaepernick made of essentially sacrificing his career, sacrificing his associations, sacrificing basically everything so he could give black people a fighting chance. That is not something you've been through, Juice. Not something you've been through at all. Yeah. You don't get to say anything to Colin Kaepernick. Even if it is as innocent as telling him to kick butt at his workout, you should not be talking to that guy. He is literally fighting the fight that you gave up on when you had your time. A lot of stuff was happening in the 70s. A lot of riots, a lot of civil unrest, a lot of harm to the black community that OJ Simpson did not want to acknowledge because he decided to be OJ and not be black. Colin Kaepernick is literally fighting that fight that OJ Simpson shirked. He should not be talking to Colin. Colin would not be in this mess that he's in currently if, or probably wouldn't be in this mess that he's in currently if OJ Simpson just did his job. Yeah, my under, uh, so what Kaepernick did is a very Christ-shaped maneuver. Yeah. I my understanding is that that Kaepernick really is a believing Christian. Mm. I I think I heard that. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know, but you're I right. I thought I heard you're, that. But, but my, your point stands. Your but point I, still stands. I think what all this blowback against Christian should not should also be understood as you know an anti-Christian uh, thing. If they are persecuting for what he's doing out of, as an outgrowth of his faith, that needs to be named. Uh huh. And not just you know the homophobes claiming persecution against Christians, right? Uh -huh. We should name it that way. But I thought about what I should do. You know how George Foreman had his George Foreman grills? Yeah. And he said it <laughs> knocks the fat out. That's what I could do because my name is Knox. Yeah. So I could say it knocks, K-N-O-X, the fat out. So everyone can get there a go. Derek Knox grill. A Derek Knox grill. <laughs> it knocks the fat out. There we go. They can, they can be all kinds of colors. <laughs> they can have like, I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, fi we'll figure it out. We'll figure we'll that figure out. It out. Yes. Get get Derek some of this endorsement money. Oh, or what I should do is the Derek Knox grill. It treats your sausage right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> dude! <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? You could have just said set your meat right or something like that. I don't know. Like, <laughs> that would have worked equally as well, but. <laughs> I mean, it's a catchy tagline. I might buy it. <laughs> I'd buy that grill. <laughs> um, so, so my prayer roll for the week is, um, a, oh, yeah, I don't even remember the names of the people involved, but apparently this was in New York City. Some gay dude was hired somewhere and was making like $150,000 salary. And then when it was revealed that he was gay, his employer, did you hear? I, I sent you this link. You right? did send me the link. Yeah. yeah. His employer, like, oh, I'm going to knock your your salary down less than half. Um, and the logic is 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 interesting because he said, yep. I don't, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that you're getting paid more than the other females. I'm like, whoa, this you're telling on yourself here. You really because are because what you're doing is is revealing that that the core of your homophobia is actually misogyny. That is pretty much the core of homophobia right there. Right. Is that misogyny. A, that a man would let himself be treated like yes. a woman or a man yes. would take the position of a woman yes. or that a man would degrade himself by you know doing what women should do. Like yes. all this stuff 
patriarchy, misogyny. If, if you truly believe in the equality of women, you have nothing to say against LG, LGBTs. Right. If you truly believe in the equality of all genders, you should have no problem with um, men and women being equivalent in the job or in a relationship. Yeah. So that's all I had to say about this. We're going to have to pray for this, uh, th- th- not only this employer involved, but uh, now apparently this this happened in New York City, which has anti-discrimination laws. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there's a lawsuit. I hope this people learn their lesson and like, this is not okay. Yeah, really not okay. Like when you sent the link, I was, I was like, in New York? Yeah, I like, thought this was going to be in some other country. Yeah, like what is that? In New York we're doing this? Yeah. Incredible thing. Anyway, let's go ahead and wrap the show up with some housekeeping. Derek, where can people find us? Yes, find us at beyondtheblockpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. And follow us, like us, and share us. And fill out the survey. Yeah, fill out the survey too. We're going to have that up for like another two weeks or so. Oh, give us some feedback. Oh, and I have a surprise announcement. Ooh, okay. James doesn't even know what I'm about to say. I don't. I'm excited. But I have decided to undertake a very important and hopefully useful project. I've decided to do my own translation of the entire New Testament into English. Oh, snap. Yeah, because I Yo. thought, well, I can do it, and why not do it? I think a lot of people would, would be very interested to, to look at a, the Knox translation of the, Bi- of the New Testament. Yeah. And I would, like, I respect Tom Wayman's translation, but I would be doing something different. I would. I haven't finalized exactly what my approach will be, but it will definitely not duplicate other things that have been done. It would just. It would go in another angle, and uh, and bring out some of these things that I've been talking about this whole this whole thing. Yeah. As we've been going through, come follow me for the New Testament. I thought, well, why I could do it? Why not do it? You could do it. You could do it, and you would enjoy doing it. And it it would take a long time, so I can't promise anything soon. I can I can definitely. Um, do some of the shorter epistles and get those out there and see what people think of it and then yeah. maybe do the whole thing eventually. That that sounds like it's going to be quite a task. Quite a task, but it sounds like you're going to enjoy it and it sounds like it's going to do some people a lot of good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to the progress of that project. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. When we got that Isn't like that exciting? You heard it here first. <laughs> heard it here first. Dope. All right. Uh, any other uh, Any other housekeeping items, Derek, before we wrap things up? No, other than to check out all of our other fellow podcasters and the Dialogue Network podcast. Yes, yes. Um, you can check them out at uh, dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. You're going to see great podcasts there like Gospel Tangents, uh, Face in Hat, Mormon Newsroom, and a couple of others. Uh, just great people who are elevating the discussion of our culture and our theology. And we think you'd seriously benefit from what they have to share about about our faith and about how it fits into you know the bigger picture and society as a whole so that is all Derek we will see you guys next week yeah see you next week bye